reading this morning is taken from selected passages from the book of Proverbs and can be found on the insert in your church bulletin. Before reading God's word, let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for your word to us. May we be open to the truths of that word as your Holy Spirit speaks to Pastor Jim. Our prayer this morning is that we might act on the truths that are shared with us this morning. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of God. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. The wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it is a wall too high to scale. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, a group of us uh, gathered before uh, church today and were able to go on a, a prayer walk 
uh, spreading out uh, in the four directions uh, from this place, uh, praying for the, the city of Madison. Ahead to this this coming year, and if you're if you weren't able to to make it, but you're interested in learning more about this practice of prayer walking, I have a, a, a kind of a bookmark introduction, uh, and have a number of these that I'd be happy to give you one after the service. Uh, just come and and get one from me. A couple of years ago, I, a dean at Harvard University named Richard Light, published a a column in the New York Times entitled, How to Live Wisely. And he described how, as a dean, uh, he connected with students. And he would say to them, imagine you are dean for a day. What is one change you would implement to enhance the college experience on campus? And he said that he'd asked that question to students for, for years, and their answers were always eye-opening and, and helpful uh, to him. But, but then he said this about it. A few years ago, the responses began to move away from tweak the history course or change the ways labs are structured. Uh, a different commentary about learning to live wisely has emerged. What does it mean to live a good life? What about a productive life? How about a happy life? How might I think about these ideas if the answers conflict with one another? And how do I use my time here at college to build on the answers uh, to these tough questions? And he goes on to talk about uh, the seminar that they've created there at Harvard uh, to invite freshmen into those kinds of questions and to begin to to think through them. Well, on our our prayer walk this morning, I was was thinking about these kinds of students— uh, coming to campus uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. Uh, students like these, you know, hungry for wisdom, asking these big questions of life and wondering where they're going to find answers and, and how. And, uh, and how we, here at Geneva Campus Church, we, we believe that part of our calling is to offer uh, that kind of wisdom uh, to them and, and to others. But, but to do this, uh, we need to know it ourselves. You, you can't give away what you, what you don't have. And so this summer, we've been studying what the Bible teaches about wisdom, especially in the book of Proverbs. And we've seen that wisdom in the Bible is a skill for living well. Uh, but it's also more than a skill. It's about relationships and, and about the heart. We said that true wisdom doesn't come from just following your heart or from following tradition. Biblical wisdom comes as we engage in a relationship with God and and his designs for the world. And so in the last couple weeks, we've considered the wise use of words, wise decision-making, and today we're asking, what does Proverbs say about money? And and it says a lot. In fact, it was uh, very difficult to cut down our Proverbs today to just those two pages. We could have added many more. But just three points uh, today Uh, about this subject. Why we need wisdom, especially in the area of of wealth and and poverty and and finances, how we get this wisdom, and then what the result will be if we have wisdom. So why we need it, how we get it, and then what the result will be if we have it. Well, one thing that we've said uh, in these weeks uh, a number of times is that wisdom is more than just intellectual knowledge. 
You can memorize Proverbs, but that's not enough to be wise. You need to be skilled at, at using wisdom. And one of the ways that the book of Proverbs challenges us uh, to do this is by giving us Proverbs in these chapters from 10 to 31 especially uh, that are all true, but not all true in the same way or at the same time. You need the gift of wisdom to know how and when to apply the Proverbs. And, and this is certainly the case as we look at the, the Proverbs teaching on money and wealth and poverty. L- listen to, to some of these Proverbs. Chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Or, or 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. Or 14, 22. The wealth of the wise is their crown. What do you conclude from Proverbs like these? Well, clearly it says prosperity is good. It comes from God, right? At the same time, there are many other Proverbs that warn of the dangers of wealth. Fifteen, sixteen: Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or 18.11, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Or 28.11, the rich are wise in their own eyes, and one who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. Wealth can also lead to trouble. It it can corrupt, it can make you proud. And so we see this complex picture, this subtle awareness of the good of wealth in Proverbs, but also the, the danger that it can bring a person. And when we look at Proverbs teaching about being poor, the situation is just as complex. On the one hand, Proverbs can be absolutely biting in critiquing uh, those who are in poverty if it's the result of, of laziness. Uh, 28, 19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. 26.14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. And my, my personal favorite, 26.15, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Isn't that an amazing image? But Proverbs does a lot more than just moralize. Uh, about the poor and tell them, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Proverbs also recognizes that poverty is very often an issue of, of social justice. 1420, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors. Or, or 28.8, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Or, or 13.23, which didn't make it into our, our sheet today. Uh, 13.23 says, The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So you can see here that the Proverbs doesn't fit into just a, a pure capitalist narrative where, where those who work hard will be rewarded and will be able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But it also doesn't fit into a... a 
a purely socialist narrative that reduces everything to economic systems and oppression. It challenges both. Proverbs says both that God blesses the righteous with wealth and that foolish behavior leads to poverty. Yes, sometimes fools get rich quick, but the wealth of fools won't last. And, and poverty is the result not just of folly, but of injustice and oppression. And other books of the Bible, like Job or, or Ecclesiastes, they, they wrestle more with why these things happen. Why do bad things happen to good people, and why do bad people sometimes get good things? But Proverbs is more concerned to help us navigate the world as it is. And what these Proverbs want us to know is that you can be rich and foolish, and you can be poor and foolish. That both wealth and poverty bring their own kinds of pressure. And you need wisdom to navigate either circumstance, when or, or if it comes to you. So, how do we get wisdom like that? In the 30th chapter of Proverbs, we hear an answer from a, a man named Agur, son of Jaka. And we don't know anything else about uh, Agur besides his name, but his prayer was included in the book. And he prayed, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So here's, here's one solution to navigate the, the challenges that we've been seeing about wealth and poverty. Just, just go for middle class, right? Uh, but remember that this is a prayer, not a commandment. And I think Agur here is showing us something, something deeper. He's showing us something about the, the attitude that we need in order to be wise in, in any circumstance. Let me, let me explain what I mean. We've already seen, haven't we, that, that it's possible to be a godly, wealthy person or a moral, poor person. He's not saying what always happens. The rich aren't always proud, nor do the poor always steal, of course. In this prayer, Agur is confessing the temptations of his own heart under the pressure that either poverty or wealth might bring. And so if you're going to be wise, if you're going to be prepared for what may come to you or what you may lose, I think you have to know yourself like this. You have to have a, a self-awareness. Do, do you know how you would respond to having more or less than you have now? Have you cultivated the wisdom that you need for more or for less? This brings us to the, the better than Proverbs that we, we read today. And we began with 15 uh, verses 16 and 17. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. 
Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Whether you believe that these better than Proverbs are true says a lot about your heart here this morning. Can you be satisfied with a little? Are you grateful for the the love of friends and family, righteousness and peace, even without great material possessions? Or are you always complaining? Do you daydream about what hasn't been given you or what you hope to have in the future that will finally make you happy, will finally satisfy you? The issue is not that you want more than a little. We've already said that there's nothing wrong with money in itself. The problem isn't the money. It's our attitude towards it. In No Country for Old Men, Cormac McCarthy tells the story of a man named Llewellyn who stumbles across a drug deal gone bad And he walks away with $2 million that he finds in a satchel uh, among the dead drug dealers. And as you can imagine, the story doesn't end there. Uh, This money leads to all sorts of problems uh, for Llewellyn and and for his young wife. And they become the target of a a gang that wants their money back. And as the the drama unfolds, uh, Llewellyn has a brief exchange with his wife that has always stuck with me. She says... Llewellyn, I don't even want the money. I just want us to be back like we was. And he answers, we will be. No, we won't, she says. I've thought about it. It's a false god. Yeah, but it's real money. In his book, The The Road to Character, David Brooks uh, describes this tendency we have uh, to make false gods, to take things that are good, but then make them far more important than they should be, with with terrible consequences on our our characters. Uh, He writes this, some perversity in our nature leads us to put lower loves above higher ones. We all love and desire a multitude of things, friendship, family, popularity, country, money, and so on. And we all have a sense that some loves are higher or more important than other loves. But we often put our loves out of order. If someone tells you something in confidence, and then you blab it out as good gossip at a dinner party, you're putting your love of popularity above your love of friendship. If you talk more at a meeting than you listen, you may be putting your desire to outshine above learning and companionship. Or we could add today, if you turn every social occasion into an opportunity for career networking, you may be putting your love of success above your love of friendship. You've taken something good, and you've turned it into a false god, into into an idol. Elsewhere in uh, The Road to Character, Brooks makes a distinction between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the ones that you list on your resume, your, your job market skills that You know, these things that contribute to your your success in the world. The eulogy virtues are are deeper. They're the ones that are talked about at your funeral. Now, some of us attended a funeral where 
There was some beautiful eulogy made uh, this week. Uh, what kind of person you were, whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful, what kinds of relationships you formed. You see, you can be smart and build a great resume, but if you're going to have the second kind of virtue, these eulogy virtues, you need wisdom. When you're wise, you have the self-awareness to ask, what has got a hold of my heart? What is really driving me? What do I really need? Uh, who or, or what am I serving? And, and are my loves in the right order? So we've talked about why we need wisdom, whether we have a lot or a little. We've considered how we get wisdom and being aware of our own temptations and attending to our hearts. Finally, let's look at the res- what the result will be if we have this kind of wisdom. In the New Testament, one of the, the key marks of a Christian is, is not just integrity or responsibility. It's generosity. And we see the same thing in, in Proverbs, uh, where it holds up gen- generosity uh, and, and says that the generous receive God's blessing. In 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. The New Testament adds to this, not uh, by saying not just that we give, but that how we give matters, and whether we give joyfully and sacrificially. This is what we see in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, in chapters 8 and 9. In Paul's missionary travels, one of his goals was to collect financial gifts for the poor church in Jerusalem, and so he wrote to the church in Corinth uh, this. He said, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Paul is is holding them up to encourage the Corinthians also to give. But then he says something surprising. In in, in chapter 8, verse 8, he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul says two things here that are, that are important. First, he says, generosity is a test. Do you see what you have as your own to do with what you please? Or do you see yourself as a steward of what God has given you to be used to help others? Do you love God, or do you love what God has given you? Generosity is a test. It's a test of the heart. And second, notice that Paul doesn't motivate their giving by laying down the law. 
He says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not going to say that this is what you've got to do to be a good Christian. Instead, he motivates them by grace. Look at what Christ has done for you. Is your heart full of love for him in response? If you know his grace, Paul says, if you see the debt that he has paid for you on the cross, then you will love as he loved, generously and sacrificially. In uh, the book that I've been reading this summer, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, Alan Kreider shows that this kind of surprising generosity was central to the early Christians and one of the primary reasons that the early church grew in its first centuries. This was during a time when the church was, was not just hard to get into, like ours uh, right now, uh, but they actually closed their worship service uh, to outsiders because it was dangerous. After Nero's persecutions in the first century, uh, they, they closed worship to visitors. And the job of deacons was to stand at the doors like bouncers and make sure that no unbaptized persons uh, came in. And yet, the church was growing remarkably uh, though there was, there was no social capital that came with being a Christian, it was hard to be a Christian, and still the church was growing. Why? Well, Kreider argues that, that non-believers were drawn to the lives of Christians. It wasn't the worship services that were attractive to them. It was the worshipers. It was the Christians who were attractive to them. And especially their concern for the weak and the poor and their integrity even in the face of persecution, their life together, their, their sacrificial love. And he quotes from the second century church father, Tertullian. He says, The Christians provide for all sorts, for boys and girls who lack property and parents, and then for slaves grown old and shipwrecked mariners, and for any who may be in mines, islands, or prisons. The, the Christian's economic behavior, Tertullian contends, is visible to their neighbors. Vide, the neighbors say. Look. The Christian's meetings may be private, but their effects can be seen in people's lives. According to Tertullian, the, the neighbors are attracted to this, and they attribute, attribute it to the Christian's love for each other. How they love one another, he says, and how they are ready to die for each other. You can only live like this if something besides wealth and comfort and success are your greatest good, are your God. It's only when you really trust that God has provided for you in the deepest possible way that you can joyfully and sacrificially give to others. Why? Because the grace of God cuts through your fear, the, the fear that leads you to hoard and, and to, to only ever save up for a rainy day and think about what you might need in the future. And it also cuts through your, your self-centeredness that, that leads you to spend freely, but only on yourself. The gospel tells you that you are more valuable in God's sight than all the riches in the world. The Son of God paid your debt on the cross to ransom you from sin and from, debt, from death. 
When you believe that, that he loves you this much, then you can entrust your possessions to him, you can entrust your family to him, yourself to him, all to be used for his kingdom purposes. And when things are hard or uncertain, you can trust that, that your suffering is not because God doesn't love you, that he loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself on the cross. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to the end of this uh, series on wisdom, I think of uh, King Solomon and how uh, you offered to him a gift, and he prayed uh, not for riches, uh, but simply for wisdom. And we come to you today with that kind of prayer, knowing that in ourselves uh, that we are so drawn to folly, to self-centeredness, to pride, and we need the gift that can only come from you and from your spirit to lead us and to guide us. Uh, We ask you for the wisdom that we need uh, to follow Christ, uh, and would you preserve us uh, from temptation? Uh, Would you provide what we need, and and would you help us to trust that uh, you do care for us in the deepest possible way, because we see that in the person and work of Jesus. Uh, We pray, uh, as he taught us to pray, would you give us uh, this day our daily bread? And we pray in his name. Amen.